Let's begin reading in Revelation chapter 4, but first let us pray and ask the Lord to bless the preaching of His Word tonight. Father, we come and we bow before You because You are the Sovereign God. I ask for Your help in handling Your Word tonight. I thank You for these blessed and holy saints. I thank You for their love to us. And Lord, I pray that we would ever be found serving and encouraging them in the things of Christ. Now help us. Help us, Father. Help us to hear Thy Word tonight that Jesus Christ might be exalted. In His holy name I pray. Amen. I'm going to read a fairly lengthy passage because I want us to catch something of the glory and the majesty of this heavenly scene and that we might have the context for the things that I'm going to be preaching. Chapter 4, verse 1, beginning in verse... Uh, beginning in verse 1. Brethren, let us hear the Word of God. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And around about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like into crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts, full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf. The third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four Four beasts had each of them wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And then those beasts give glory, and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are... And were created. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, 
have prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayer of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word to our hearts tonight. Who would be sufficient to uh, preach a full exposition of such things? And my heart is just gripped to bow and to worship the Most High God that's set before us here. But I simply want to focus on verse 9 that says, And they sung a new song saying, Thou, speaking of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Jesus Christ is worthy to open the book. Heaven declares it. And the Word of God says so. May the Lord bless the reading of this precious Word to us tonight. Brethren, there is no book, there never has been and there never will be, a book like the Bible. In its pages, God gives us an honest and a penetrating look at ourselves very often in most dramatic ways. But the most extraordinary glimpses that we get are when God draws back the curtain of this world and He lets us peer into the heavenly realm. He does this in our present passage. Chapters 4 and 5 here of Revelation lie at the very core of the message of the book of Revelation. And they are a revelation about God the Father and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Now we live in a day when some seem to think that the book of Revelation is simply about the end times, that's all, and who the Antichrist is. And because of that, we often miss the fact that this is a book about God's sovereign rule and His triumph over evil through the saving work of His Son, Jesus Christ. In verse 9 of chapter 5, we hear heaven ringing with praise to the Lord Jesus Christ because He is worthy to open the book. But to understand this mysterious and this glorious scene, we need to look briefly at chapters 4 and 5 in their context. Now this scene begins with the Apostle John seeing a door opened 
in heaven. He hears the voice of the Lord Jesus calling like a trumpet to come up through the door. Now there Christ reveals things which must be after this. Immediately John is in the Spirit and he sees the glory of God as he sits on his throne. In all His resplendent glory and majesty, God looks like a jasper in a sardine stone with an emerald rainbow encircling His blessed throne. These brilliant and rich colors speak of God's majesty and beauty. The Holy Spirit gives John a glorious vision so that we might drink in the beauty the awesome glory in images that that at least convey a little to us how big, beautiful, glorious and majestic our God is. Twenty-four elders clothed in white and wearing crowns of gold sit encircling the throne while lightning and thunder and voices break forth from it. And here we see God's Awesome power, which reminds us of His appearance on the top of Mount Sinai. That's how it was when He came down on the top of Mount Sinai, and lightning and thunder and smoke, the people trembled. John was astounded at what he saw. When he gazed upon this holy scene, now the seven spirits of God, and you can read many books and many conjectures about all that that means, that they are either a symbol for the sevenfold majesty of the Holy Spirit or simply seven angelic beings. They stand before God's throne, burning like lamps of fire. Before the throne is a sea of glass, like crystal. Now this could be like a large basin that was in Solomon's temple that held water, or it could even be a symbol for chaos. A sea is often chaos in the Scriptures. But around this throne are four living creatures, and they're here called beasts. The first one's like a lion, the second like a calf, the third like a man, the fourth like an eagle. We could take some time to try to set out what all of these things point to, but we will not this evening. But each of these living creatures had six wings which are full of eyes within, which speaks of God's omniscience, His all-knowing. And they say ceaselessly, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. Brethren, they are caught up. They are enraptured at the glimpse, at the vision of the glory of God. And in our day, we have lost In much of the preaching, the majesty, the sovereign rule of our God. Everybody wants a buddy. A Jesus they can handle. A God that's kind of, well, just their co-pilot. But brethren, the book of Revelation doesn't give us a God like that. He's not the great psychiatrist in the sky. He is the Lord of glory. And all of heaven acknowledges this and magnifies Him, and glorifies Him, and they echo, Holy, 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 that's something else we've lost. 
Today you would think that all the angels say, love, love, love. You see, the Beatles said that. But heaven says, holy. Because God is holy and righteous. And the very beasts of heaven cannot but shout their praises. Now when the creatures give glory and honor and thanks to God upon His throne, the twenty-four elders fall down and they worship, casting their crowns before the throne. Their cries are, Lord, You are worthy to receive glory and honor. We ought to join our voices to theirs. Lord, Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Our generation has lost much of the concept of praising our God for who He is. The God of much of modern American culture is no more than just a step above Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping and all of that stuff. But brethren, the Scriptures explicitly set before us a God to be adored, a God to be exalted, a God to stand and lift your hands in praise and say, glory and praise and honor and riches and thanksgiving be unto thee, O God. And we've lost much of that. Oh, that our hearts were on fire with this God. And in His mercy, He's drawn back the veil so that we can see just a bit. To communicate to us in images that grip our hearts and make us stand in awe and join our voices with the heavenly host. And it says, You have created all things they are and were created for your pleasure. Why did they worship Him? Because He is the sovereign God. He's made all things for His own pleasure. Now, chapter 5 then opens with a book or a scroll of infinite importance. It's in the right hand of God. Here is our God seated. And He holds this scroll. The mighty angel loudly issues a challenge to the farthest reaches of the universe. Who is worthy? He doesn't whisper this one. He says he's loud. Who is worthy? Who is worthy to take the book and to loose the seals thereof? And a tragedy at first. The thing that grips John's heart is when he surveys everything, it seems like there's no one that can open it. The Apostle John weeps because neither the greatest creature in heaven nor earth is able to open and unfold God's glorious revelation of salvation and judgment. No one of creation. John's weeping stops when before his eyes the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the Lamb of God, steps forward to take the book. Now, brethren, that is a glorious scene. John weeps because no one can open this great book and then steps forward 
that glorious Lamb. And what, what happens here? Brethren, heaven erupts. Heaven gloriously erupts with a new and lofty hymn exalting the Lord Jesus. We're always told in the Psalms, sing a new song. Heaven sings a new song. They sing a glorious song to the Lord Jesus. He alone measures up to the task of both fulfilling and bringing to pass the eternal purpose of God. So let's consider these three things briefly this evening. First, Jesus is worthy to open the book. Verse 9 tells us because He was slain. Secondly, Jesus is worthy to open the book because He has redeemed us to God by His blood. And thirdly, Jesus is worthy to open the book because He has made His people, kings and priests, to God. First, let's consider this just for a few moments. Let's consider the definition of the word worthy. Here, the Greek word means having the weight of a thing of like value. In other words, something equal in worth. So that means something, once we follow the etymology of the word, what it finally comes to mean is something that measures up to the task at hand. What needs to be done can be done by this one. He measures up. So heaven explodes with praise that Jesus is up to the task. And no one else is. I do, I do not mean to, to sound irreverent, but this, this is pointing us to the idea that Jesus can handle it. Secondly, let's consider the person who was worthy. And we could spend the rest of the message on this, couldn't we? He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the incarnate Word. God become flesh. The eternal God, born of a virgin, born under the law. He's the mediator the only mediator between God and men. He is our prophet. He is the priest. He is the king of God's elect. His infinite worth, listen, the infinite worth of His person gives infinite worth to His work. Amen. And that's why He is worthy. He is up to the task. He is the God-man appointed by His Father to accomplish the Father's eternal purpose. Amen. And the reason that He's worthy is that the very purpose of the incarnation was that the living God come in the flesh, become a propitiation unto God, for the sins of His people. Why did God become a man? Why? Because God cannot die. 
But the God who becomes man, the man, Christ Jesus, He can die. So Jesus is worthy to open the book because He was slain. He was the propitiation. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Verse 20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God, now don't miss this, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. Brethren, a propitiation is an appeasement. In other words, it is a sacrifice that turns away wrath. It is something that turns away anger. Now, there's a lot of people today that don't want to believe that there's an angry God. They don't want to believe the Scriptures when they say that God is angry with the wicked every day. Every day. Every day. They hate a God like that. I mean, that, that doesn't fit into their category of nice I mean, you know, if I was God, I wouldn't be like that. This is because they do not understand the very thing that heaven thunders with. That God is holy. Amen. He is holy and He is righteous. We were made in His image. And we have rebelled against the Most High. Yeah. And God hates, He loathes, He abhors the sins and rebellions of every sinful Man, woman, and child that has been born is living now or ever will be born. And if men and women and children die in those sins, they will know the wrath of God for all eternity. And that is why this verse speaks of the grace of God when it says, God, whom God the offended God, the holy and righteous God, set forth His Son to be the propitiation. Do you understand that, dear brethren? In other words, the offended God turned away His own anger and wrath. And with what treasure did this offended God Pay that debt with His own darling Son, whom God has set forth. The word set forth there means placarded. Perhaps you've seen somebody uh, protesting a particular store or a business and uh, they walk back and forth with big signs on the front and on the back saying this business is unjust or unfair or something like that. What are they doing? They're publicly placarding 
their message. And brethren, we are being told here that the Most High placarded. He set forth His Holy Son that heaven and earth might see that He is the one and He alone is the one that appeases the Father's wrath. That satisfies God the Father. And friend, if you understand that, if that sinks down into the depths of your soul, then you will understand that no single work or all of the religious works that you ever perform can turn the Father's wrath away. You can try to be as good as you want to be, but your so-called goodness and your religion will never save you. Because there's only one propitiation and God the Father set Him forth for all the world to see. It's not a mystery. It's not a, it is a mystery. It's not a secret. It is not a secret. On that lonely hill, the Lord Jesus Christ bore the sins of all of His people for all of eternity. And God the Father's holiness and the just requirements of His law have been satisfied. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus Christ bore in His own body on the tree all the sins of His people. This is what turns away the Father's wrath. He has satisfied all the just demands of the law. So Jesus Christ is worthy to open the book because He was slain. He's the propitiation for His people. Secondly, Jesus is worthy to open the book because He has redeemed us to God by His blood. The very word redemption means to free by payment of a ransom. To free, to set loose by payment of a ransom. Brethren, the very law of God stands before each of us, damning us. It says to us, you've had other gods. You haven't been faithful. You haven't worshipped your God as you should. You haven't used the things He's given you to honor and glorify Him. You have lied and borne false witness. You've been immoral. The law stands gloriously setting forth God's will and His righteousness, but not one of us measures up. And if we turn to the law and try to do what's good in order to be right with God, we will be forever damned. Because we cannot pay that price. We cannot keep that matchless holiness. Jesus Christ has. The whole law stands against us and the blood of Jesus Christ purchases us from that horrible penalty. This is the idea of redemption. To be bought back. To be freed by payment of a ransom. And what was the price of His redemption? We already know it. I'm not saying anything new here. But it's something that we always need to be reminded of. Ephesians chapter 1 says, verse 7, In whom, the Lord Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. In God's infinite wisdom, 
we see played out in the mystery of the gospel. His eternal purpose for saving His people from their sins. God became man. The second person of the Holy Trinity was born of a virgin. And He perfectly kept the laws that His people have never kept. And He died upon the cross bearing all of their iniquities. Then He was raised again the third day. The price of the setting free of His people was His precious blood. Colossians chapter 1 tells us the same thing. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness not simply from darkness but from its very power. We are slaves. We are lost in our sinful rebellions against God. And it's not something that we can just shake free from. We are gripped in the power of that darkness. And slaves to flesh, sin, and the devil. But something sets us free. Verse 13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption. Freedom by payment of a ransom through His blood. Every drop of blood shed by our Savior purchased eternal life for every single one of God's elect. What does that accomplish? Romans 3 says that glorious blood was shed for us for our justification. Verse 24 says, being justified, that means to be declared, accepted, and treated as righteous by the God who made the heavens and the earth. Being declared righteous freely by His grace. It is never, never has been and never will be by the works of men that we might enter into the kingdom of God. It is always and only by the glorious work of Christ, being declared righteous freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not only do we have redemption, but we have our eternal sanctification. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. It is not possible. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Brethren, this is the unfolding of God's eternal purpose. This wasn't plan B. The Lord didn't look down and see Adam fall and say, what am I going to do now? I'm going to have to come up with something. That's almost the way I've heard it preached sometimes. No, from before the foundation of the world, God in His infinite wisdom and in His eternal love for His people purposed to save His people from their sins. 
And that was accomplished in the coming of the Lord Jesus. Not only was there justification, their being declared righteous, accomplished in His glorious work, but it tells us here that this is the unfolding of His purpose to make us holy. Declared righteous and made holy. It says above when He said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said He, Lo, I come, the Lord Jesus, to do thy will, O God, his eternal purpose. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified, set apart, made holy. How? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. Hallelujah. Amen. Brethren, this is why Christ is worthy. He is the one purposed of the Father to accomplish these things. He is the one who once and for all accomplished absolutely everything infinitely necessary for your eternal righteousness. Once for all. And what's the object of this redemption? We've defined it. We've looked at the price, the blood of Christ. We've looked at the goal, the justification, the sanctification, and ultimately the glorification of His people. But the object of His redemption is that Jesus is worthy to open the book because... He has saved His people from their sins. Amen. Now, you say, well, uh, well, we've heard things like this before. No. What is often said today is that Jesus is trying to save His people. I grew up hearing God's done all He can do. Now the rest is up to you. Brethren, if any of it's up to you, you will be lost for all eternity. God's demand is perfect righteousness and it has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. And He has done it for all His people. Not some or most, but all of His dear people. He has secured for them eternal life. When He said, It is finished. then all of His children were as secure as they could be for all eternity. You see, in Revelation, when we gaze upon this glorious scene and we see the seals being broken as the Lord Jesus Christ unfolds the eternal and sovereign purpose of God, it is only Jesus Christ who could do what God the Father eternally willed to be done. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Lion and the Lamb all at the same time. 
He is worthy to open the book because He hath redeemed. As it says here, look with me at verse 9. Thou was slain and hast redeemed. There's our word. Set free by payment of a ransom. The ransom of His precious blood. He hath redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And see, when the Scriptures say, For God so loved the world, this is the biblical commentary on it. This is the world. Out of every tongue and tribe and kindred and nation. And they all stand. The world stands and praises the Most High God. The gracious and powerful gospel of God was launched to the four corners of the earth to draw all of God's children to Him. And brethren, we are a part of that. Right here, this small assembly, every time one of the brethren here gives a track, sends a book, sends a booklet, we are sending that glorious message that Christ alone has accomplished the eternal purpose of God for the salvation of His people. And those that come to Him will find Him a willing Savior. That is why those in heaven, and the day will come when we will join our voices to theirs with them, will praise Him for all eternity, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. Thou art worthy to take the book to open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. And finally, brethren, let me close with this. Jesus is worthy to open the book because He has made His people kings and priests to God. Now, if the Lord has ever dealt with you, if the Spirit of God has ever truly dealt with your heart, the one thing you can never get over is that God in His mercy took His Holy Son and brutalized Him, crushed Him in your place. You are astounded you are awestruck and you love Him because you trust Him in your place. And you would be happy just to know for all eternity that your sins are washed away. Does that not grip you? I know it doesn't grip us every day like it ought to because we wouldn't, we wouldn't be the people we are sometimes if we were being gripped by that glorious thought instead of something we've let get in the way. But my point is this. I know that I would be satisfied knowing what I am in the flesh and knowing what I've been without Christ. I would be as thrilled for all eternity as I could be just to know, just to know that my sins were washed away. But the salvation of God goes further than that. We are not simply forgiven sinners. 
but by God's eternal purpose. We are His sons. We are His people. We are kings and priests. It is true that when we think of Christ coming to us and opening our hearts, we think, I'm just a poor, dead sinner. I am the worm of the earth. And I do not deserve thy mercies and thy kindness. That you would wash away my sins, O Lord, beyond anything I can ask and think. But he says, but you will also rule and reign with me. Can you find a man, an angel, or a creature anywhere in all the universe that could accomplish such a feat? To take the rebels that deserve hell and make them the rulers with the King of Kings. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ has done that for His people. And that's why heaven explodes with His glory. You are worthy to take the book. You are worthy of all our praise. Friend, do you know this Christ? Have you fled to Him? The Gospel is as precious today as it was yesterday and be just this precious again tomorrow. Do you know this Christ? Trust Him. And may that great and glorious day come when we all join together and say, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and hath redeemed us to God by Thy blood. Let's pray. Father, thank You for such a great Savior. Thank You for such a great Lord. We are stunned beyond our ability to lay hold of, to think that all the earth groans for that day of the revelation of the sons of God. But Christ has accomplished that for us. He is worthy. I praise and thank You, Lord Jesus, for all that You've done. Draw Your children to Yourself. In Jesus' holy name, Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 
450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.